0: This episode contains discussions of sexual violence. It's important to know there are people and resources available to help. No one should ever suffer in silence. No one should ever be ignored. If you need help, rain. that's R-A-I-N-N, has a lot of resources, including a 24 hour helpline. That's 800 656 HOPE. 800 656 HOPE. This podcast is not associated with rain, but they are a wonderful resource dedicated to making the world a better place. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath for episodes 29 and 30, chapters 23 and 24 The Blind King and Prelude to The Blind King. This week we're discussing chapter 23, The Blind King, and 24. Prelude to the Blind King, as well as Canto 7 of Dante's Inferno, Circle 4 Hoarders and Wasters, and Circle 5 The Wrathful and Sullen. Dante and Virgil enter the land of the Hoarders and Wasters. Here the Hoarders and Wasters slam giant boulders together. They also meet King Plutus, the mythological god of wealth and riches. He is screaming what is believed to be some sort of incantation to Satan. It's been said that it's untranslatable gibberish. As usual, Dante is fearful of this obstacle. And as usual, Virgil tells him not to be afraid. Plutus is brought down by Virgil when the poet reprimands him. The hoarders scream, Why do you waste? And the wasters scream, Why do you hoard? All the while rolling giant weights or boulders into each other. Some translations have the sinners rolling large wheels in a semicircle colliding with each other in the middle, turning around and doing it again, while other translations have them crashing boulders into each other, pulling them back and repeating the process. Either way, the hoarders and wasters are constantly battling each other. In Dante's eyes, these two groups are treated as one. Even though hoarders and wasters are opposites, they are still both forms of excessive greed. In Dante's eyes, both of these selfish groups wrongly thought they could prevail in life. They are set here to fight each other in a war that cannot be won. Dante inquires about who these sinners are but Virgil tells him they have been rendered unrecognizable. He does, however, relate to Dante that many of these sinners are clergymen, and some are even former popes. There is also a discussion of fortune here, an angel or possibly a goddess in charge of shifting the distribution of wealth across the world. In a way that is somehow balanced but not understandable or predictable to mankind. People curse her, but she does not hear the curses and instead continues her work happily. We also get into the wrathful and the sullen in this canto. These souls exist in a repurposed version of the river Styx or the river of hate. Dante envisions it as a marsh. The wrathful souls here are indistinguishable from one another, and are those whose anger overcame them. They were hateful in life, so they must reside in the river of hate itself. They rage against each other, constantly fighting with brutal violence. Virgil tells Dante these are not the only ones damned to this circle, though. Below the surface are the sullen. They choke on their own hatred, unable to express themselves. Their hatred floats to the top in the form of gurgling bubbles. In Chapter 24 of Darker Days of Dorothy Gale, The Blind King I've taken a lot of the same theology, but I've left a lot of Dante's imagery behind. I've also moved King Plutus to the end of the chapter instead of the beginning, and I've made changes to his personality and power. Mister and the Tin Woodman travel this circle and bear witness to the hoarders and wasters. Instead of the two groups clashing and violently crashing their wheels or boulders together, I opted for a little bit of a different punishment here. The wasters throw gold from their high towers, hidden from view and unable to see what happens to their wealth. The hoarders, on the other hand, are below the marshy surface, reaching up to collect it. These figures are also obscured and unidentifiable. They reach blindly for a fortune they have no use for. Mr. and the Woodman are approached by armed guards. Each of them sees a different threat, however. Mr. sees winged monkeys, while the Tin Woodman sees wolves. These obviously resemble each character's deepest fears. We see the wrathful in the form of the fighting pit in King Plutus's tower. Again, the woodman sees wolves fighting and tearing at each other, while mister sees the winged monkeys. For this interpretation of the inferno, I've combined the sullen with the hoarders, living beneath the surface. That's not some kind of a statement or anything, It was purely for aesthetic reasons. When they finally meet Plutus in his tower, they discover he is blind. His eyes are empty sockets. He sits on a large throne, surrounded by furnaces. Slaves constantly shovel coal into them, stoking the flames of Plutus's hatred and anger. In the Inferno... Plutus is all bark and no bite. Virgil simply chastises him and he goes down. Here he is an imposing force, with what we can assume is a great deal of power. There's a conversation between him and the travelers, and ultimately he agrees to let them go in the hopes that they will do what he was unable to. Kill Vell. In Chapter 25, Prelude to the Blind King, we find out how Plutus becomes blind. This chapter isn't necessarily an Inferno chapter like the ones that came before it. This would be more akin to Virgil reprimanding Plutus in Dante's telling, though this is a far more visceral and traumatic experience. King Plutus's rape of Vell is an example of pure unrelenting wrath. Vell's response in which she burns his eyes out is unflinching blind rage. Prelude to the blind king was a difficult one. It was hard to write, hard to record, and hard to edit and now it's hard to talk about. But I can't just leave the chapter and the topic largely unattended. This book, audiobook, podcast, however you want to categorize it, is no stranger to sexual violence. We've witnessed Reginald at the beginning with The Man with the Spring Heels, We've witnessed the violence that led to Ozma and her sister's birth with the conception. And we've had slightly less than vague references to Tip and Momby's relationship. All of those instances were different from this one, however. Or at least they feel different to me. And they each had different outcomes... In The Man with the Spring Heels, Melinda's rape is described more like a grotesque, out-of-body experience. A nightmare, if you will. It results in her going mad and giving birth to a child she thought she could never have. In the Conception chapter, Lady Quinneth is demoralized and dehumanized in a way that breaks her emotionally. The way her assault is described is nothing short of grotesque. Like Melinda, she gives up her children, but for different reasons. Lady Quinneth is mentally, or at least physically fit, to care for her children. But she loses the ability to love. She becomes hardened. Cynical, spiteful and filled with hate. The damage Mombi inflicts on Tip is mirrored by his own behavior. He is born of violence and trauma, and his behavior is learned. For a prelude to the Blind King, I took a decidedly different approach to the difficult subject matter of rape. I changed the perspective and focused more on what it means to exist inside of Wrath. The decision to tell this chapter from Vel's perspective was important to me. The decision to make it violent and obscene was also important. I tried hard to make sure this didn't come off as some kind of disturbing rape fantasy, or as something salacious for the sake of being salacious. While other chapters have dealt with unwarranted guilt or shame on the parts of the victims, Prelude to the Blind King is about rising above those feelings. There's a dramatic shift in tone here, as she goes from fearful victim to fearless victor. In an earlier aftermath, I mentioned that there is no Virgil allegory. That everyone is Dante, because Dante was everyone. That was wrong. Vel is definitely an allegory for Virgil here. Though she doesn't exist for every character, and she is limited, for the time being, to these Dorothy chapters, she is definitely a Virgil character. She takes no shit from anyone. She knows the land, and she's a strong leader with a will to survive. If I missed something, or failed to address something you feel I should have, or goofed on my summary of Dante's Inferno, which is very possible, let me know. I'm always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. I suppose you don't have to be constructive, but you're probably not going to get a response out of me if you're not constructive. You don't have to like this show. I don't know why you're listening if you don't. But like it or not, you can be nice. I know you can. I believe in you. A quick rundown of ways you can get in touch with me is Dark Days of Dorothy Gale at Outlook.com at Dark Dorothy G on Twitter and TikTok. Alternately at the Ordinary Sun, that's S-U-N, on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And of course, if social media isn't your jam, there's always the official Dark Days website DD of DG.com. You can also find links to t-shirts and stickers and stuff there as well. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale used to be on Amazon as an ebook and in paperback form. But at the time of this recording, the podcast is the only way to experience it. If you would like to support the show, buying a t-shirt or a sticker or something really is the coolest way to go about it. If you want to support my specific brand of creativity in a more direct financial way, you can find me at buymeacoffee.com slash ordinary sun. Again, that's S-U-N. If you do, I'll give you a shout-out on this unsuccessful and obscure podcast. And I'll even send you a handwritten thank-you note. Complete with a fun little sketch. If you don't want to donate to this cause, that's fine too. I'm happy to do this either way. Come back Friday, November 18th, for Chapter 26, The Heretic and Its Aftermath, which will cover Canto 10 of Dante's Inferno. Circle 6, The Heretic's Thanks for listening. I love you all.